Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. It was a cold, crisp December afternoon in 1958. Three eighth graders, Janet Delaria, Francis Guzaldo, and Karen Hobick, were headed back to their second floor classroom at Our Lady of the Angel School. Today, the three friends decided to use the main corridor stairs instead of their usual way of heading up the northeast staircase. As they were walking through the main hallway, the air around them started to change. The air felt heavy, thick, and foggy. One of them began coughing, then the second, then the third until all three were coughing uncontrollably. The grayish smoke that filled the hallway made their eyes sting in water. It was then when they realized what was happening and in a flash, the three girls raced toward the rear door of their classroom, room 211. After that, things happened so fast and sadly, of all three friends, only Janet will survive this tragedy. listening to Untimely, a podcast about events in earlier or recent history that resulted in untimely fatalities and damages in its wake. I am your host, Lynn. In today's episode, we'll talk about the horrific tragedy of a fire that claimed many lives in a small Catholic school in Chicago, Illinois. Unfortunately, this fire, though catastrophic and heartbreaking, is only one fire-related incident that haunts the city of Chicago to this day. The Our Lady of the Angels School belonged to the Roman Catholic parish system under the Archdiocese of Chicago. Enrolled in the school are about 1,600 students, ranging from kindergarten through eighth grade. The school was located in the Humboldt Park neighborhood in the west side of Chicago. The neighborhood was largely made up of Italian-American, middle-class families and served over 4,500 people. Within the community, were first- to third-generation immigrants hailing from Italy, Poland, Germany, and other Slavic countries. The school was located at 909 North Avers Avenue and was a part of several buildings that formed the parish. The North Wing was a two-and-a-half-story structure built in 1910 with bricks on the outside and mostly wood on the inside. The first floor of the North Wing was a functioning church, while the second floor housed the students' classrooms. The South Wing was built later in 1939, and both buildings were connected by an annex in 1951. Surrounding the U-shaped school was a tall, narrow iron fence. It was on the afternoon of December 1, 1958. It was a Monday, the start of the week, and the feast day of St. Edward Campion. 
At around 2 o'clock in the afternoon, a 30-gallon waste barrel filled with paper and cardboard ignited into flames. The barrel was stored at the bottom of the northeast stairwell. As the flames became bigger and stronger, the heat and fire reached outside the steel waste barrel and a window facing the outside of the street shattered from the intense heat. The open window fed fresh oxygen to the already spreading fire and then reached a 30-inch by 24-feet roll of tarred building paper that was also stored in the stairwell. The tar from the paper created a thick black smoke that slowly climbed up the stairwell, where it made its way to the second floor. The cold December air pushed the combustion up to the second floor until it hit the fiber ceiling tiles. The wooden staircase became a chimney of gas, black smoke, and fire as it blazed the walls, floors, and ceiling of the north wing, which, as a reminder, were all entirely made of wood materials. As the dangerous combustion blanketed every nook and cranny of the hallway, what fueled the fire even further was the petroleum-based floor wax used for cleaning. Eventually, this deadly combination sealed the fate of everyone inside. A diagram drawn by Mr. Jan Pekis for the investigation showed a small plume of heated air and combustion gases carried by convection through a masonry ventilation hole into the small attic where it heated the underside surface of the roof. This fire was said to have smoldered for a good solid 20 minutes before Janet, Francis, and Karen walked in and were blasted with grayish smoke coming from the staircase. The main corridor where the three girls came from became quickly filled with stifling smoke and scorching gas. As the sea of flames waved over the second floor, the extreme heat continued to increase and in some classrooms, where it is a completely enclosed space, the fire caused the wooden walls to explode. As the fire and smoke started to fill the classrooms, one quick-thinking teacher pulled the fire alarm, but it did not ring. Instead, she gathered her students and raced their way in the opposite directions of the flames. Some minutes later, the teacher went back to pull the alarm again, and this time, it rang. But the fire alarm was not connected to the fire department. James Raymond, a janitor, saw the fire burning from the annex and ran to the rectory to make the first phone call to the fire department. This was around 2.42 in the afternoon. Outside the school, Barbara Glowacki, a candy store owner near the North Wing, made the second phone call one minute after. She heard about the fire from a man named Elmer Barkhouse. Keep both Barbara and Elmer in the back of your minds as they will come back later in our story. When the bell finally rang, within minutes, all 1,600 students and staff members of the Our Lady of the Angels started to scramble for their lives. We have to remember that 1958 was post-war America, where the baby boom generation grew up. Class sizes were not limited to any sort of maximum occupation. In some cases, there were classrooms that had over 64 children inside. Because the main corridor was filled with smoke, Many of the children and their teachers were trapped inside their classrooms and were unable to escape through the door. The only way out is through the second floor window. Back in Sister O'Neill's classroom in 211, she tried to lead her students out the door, but the intense smoke prevented them to walk out. It was just too dangerous. Sister O'Neill decided to remain inside the classroom. The same with other teachers. 
they told their students to sit at their desks and in some cases to gather around to pray and wait to be rescued. Some of these children died at their desks of smoke inhalation. In room 207, one of the classrooms adjacent to where the fire started, was Sister Mary St. Canice Lyons' class. At the time of the fire, she was teaching her 7th grade class of 47 children. As the fire spread, another janitor named Mario Camerini was outside the building and was able to reach room 207's window using a ladder. The ladder allowed the children to escape one at a time. As the students descended the ladder, a spurt of heated gases incinerated the classroom. Three boys and Sister Mary St. Canice Lying perished. Inside the rest of the nearby classrooms, around 329 children and their teachers who were trapped rushed towards the window and started screaming for help. Other classrooms where the fire has yet to spread out started to evacuate, but there were some teachers who were looking for the principal to find out what exactly to do. What they did not realize was that the principal was teaching as a substitute in one of the classrooms of the South Wing. Students were crawling, running, and struggling to escape from the smoke and fire. Sister Mary Divine, in room 209, instructed her students to block the classroom doors with chairs and books. This slowed down the smoke from entering the room and bought some time for rescue. She had 55 students inside, including Beverly Berta, who was among the last students to be rescued. As Beverly was about to be rescued, she passed out from smoke inhalation. It was right then when the roof of the North Wing collapsed from the heat and fire instantly killing many who are still inside. It was complete chaos inside, and outside, the surrounding community started to notice. It took two minutes from the call at 2.42 in the afternoon before the fire department learned about the fire at the Our Lady of the Angels school. Then another three minutes passed before emergency equipment arrived within the vicinity of the school. The fire quickly spread and became a five-alarm fire. Meanwhile, the rescue efforts were delayed from a series of disastrous events. First, we learned earlier that the fire alarm was not directly in contact with the fire department. Second, firefighters were initially given the wrong address, which caused further delay. Third, the eight-foot-tall iron fence that surrounded the school prevented firefighters from getting close to the burning building. At first, they tried to use sledgehammers to get through the metal fence. But the sledgehammers were too slow, so an iron ladder was used to pry open the fence. But the ladder did not work either, so they decided to use the one thing they have that will allow them to quickly get close to the building, their fire truck. The truck slowly moved forward and floored its way to blast through the fence. Finally, they were in. As the fire spread outside the building, the firefighters focused on rescuing the children as they saw that some have been jumping and hitting the cold ground steadily. One at a time, students started jumping through the windows and crashed down the unforgiving pavement and crushed rocks. The fall from the windows to the hard concrete was about 25 feet high. Lucky ones were caught by firemen or brave onlookers while others were not. Students in other rooms slid down the drain pipes or jumped onto the lower roofs and eventually down the street level. As the chaos that surrounded the school continued, a father, Max Tatura, begged his son Mark, who was at the second floor window, to jump in his arms. 
Instead, other children jumped, and Max was able to catch or stop the fall of about 12 of them. Young Mark, all of age 9, was too frightened to jump and was lost in the crowd of crying children waiting to be rescued. Mark did not survive. Ed Clock, a 74-year-old man, tried to catch children who at this point were jumping to the ground with their hair on fire and their white school uniforms turning into brown. While helping out, Ed suffered a heat stroke. His heart was too weak to continue. Luckily, Ed made it through. As the smoke and fire were seen from miles away, hundreds of people started to gather near the building. People from the neighborhood grabbed their own ladders to help rescue the children from the windows. Hundreds of onlookers were on site watching the fire unfold. Barbara Glowacki, the candy store owner, was one of the people who called the fire department took in some of the injured children inside the store, away from the winter cold, and to wait for medical attention. The rescue went on for hours, and the search lasted through the evening. Many had to wait for emergency services or to be brought to different area hospitals. But many did not have to wait, as they died due to their injuries from jumping to the ground, from smoke inhalation, or severe burns. Firefighters and volunteers one by one brought bodies out of the building on makeshift stretchers or carried them out in their arms. Family members were told to go to the hospitals. Some parents, with every ounce of their strength, had to do the gut-wrenching task of something they were unprepared for, identifying their children's remains. 35 children were brought to St. Anne's Hospital. Dr. James Seagraves, one of the attending doctors, was quoted to have said, that many may not make it through the night. At the basement of Cook County Hospital, priests performed last rites to tiny burned bodies alongside grieving parents. For some, bodies were burned to the point of misidentification. Nurses and attendants had a hard time telling where the body in front of them was a boy or a girl. In the weeks that follow, funerals were held for the victims that were attended by thousands of parishioners and the grieving public. A requiem mass service was held for the three nuns who perished in the fire, which was held in the Our Lady of the Angels Church. The parish offered to have services for the rest, but the church did not have enough room to accommodate the attendees, so mass services and funerals for 27 families were held at the Illinois National Guard Armory, also located in Humboldt Park. Some families chose to bury their children in private. Then-Chicago Mayor Richard J. Daly ordered all flags around the city to be lowered at half-staff. The worst school fire disaster in Chicago's history, one of the nation's worst ever, shocks the country. News about the disaster spread beyond Chicago, beyond the United States, including Canada and Europe. Pope John XXIII sent his prayers and condolences to the loved ones of those who died. A relief fund was created to care for the injured children for many years. What is even more interesting about this is that fire precautions were approved one week before the fire. But it is important to note that buildings of the Our Lady of the Angels were built decades before. The City of Chicago's Fire Safety Commission issued a grandfather clause where Our Lady of the Angels fell under if schools who already met previous regulations and have continuously complied with the state and city codes of 1958, the schools did not need to be retrofitted to the new standards. 
So what does this mean? Our Lady of the Angels had the following. One fire escape and iron ladder, which was located in the north wing, but only accessible through the main corridor, which, as we know, was quickly engulfed in flames. There was no direct alarm connected to the fire department, no fire-resistant stairwells, and there was only one heavy-duty fire door, which was located on the first floor. Smoke detectors were available commercially only until 1969, and at that time, sprinklers were only found in newly constructed buildings or factories. However, the school did have two fire alarm switches, but both were unmarked and its location was unknown from some of the teachers and some of the students. Four fire extinguishers, but they were mounted seven feet high out of the reach of many adults and definitely out of the reach of children. If you remember Elmer Barkhouse, at first, the investigators thought that he started the fire. And when he learned about this, Elmer immediately came forward and explained himself. He was only passing by. He was no longer a suspect and was determined to be one of the first respondents to the fire. A grocery store owner near the building reported a suspicious man loitering near and about the school at the time of the incident. This report of a suspicious man was never confirmed and no further information can be gathered either. It is important to note that in June of the same year, there was a previous arson attempt at the parish facilities, but the fire did not cause any harm to anyone or to the building and was not further investigated. However, in 1962, a student came forward and confessed to setting the blaze but later recanted his story. This student was around 10 years old in 1958 and was in fifth grade. He admitted to setting small fires in the surrounding areas. It was found out that the student was permitted to leave his classroom to go to the restroom around 2 p.m., which was the time the fire was thought to have started. During the investigation, burned matches were seen near the chapel of the North Wing. The boy was said to have confessed to details that were not released to the public. In the end, a judge concluded that there was insufficient evidence to support the boy's confession, and the investigation was closed. To this day, the official cause of the fire is unknown, and there have been no charges filed or arrests made. Percy Bugby, president of the National Fire Protection Association, was quoted to say, There are no new lessons to be learned from this fire, only old lessons that tragically went unheeded. From the ashes of this tragedy, sweeping changes to fire and safety precautions followed in the city of Chicago and soon nationwide. 16,500 older school buildings were brought up to standard within 12 months. Schools must be fitted with a sprinkler system. Students of the city of Chicago were subjected to fire drills on a regular basis immediately following this incident. The city of Chicago passed a law that requires a fire alarm box to be installed in front of schools and other public venues. At least one fire alarm system must be connected to the street fire alarm box. New codes required building materials to replace wood and plaster with concrete. Life magazine published an article about the devastating fire in the same month. A photographer, Steve Lasker, was on site taking pictures. One of Steve's photos showed firefighter Richard Scheidt delicately carrying 10-year-old John Jajowski Jr. in his arms. This photo was circulated all over the country and was later used as a poster for fire prevention. 
In the end, 95 lives were lost in the Our Lady of the Angels fire. If the fire started at least 60 minutes later, there would have been a lot less tragic stories as the bell would have rang to mark the end of the school day. Students would have gone home and parents would have prepared for their home-cooked meals. For the rest of the school year, students went to different public school facilities in the surrounding areas. Even though the buildings were different, the same teachers taught the classes and students learned with other Our Lady of the Angels survivors. This continued until a new Our Lady of the Angels school was rebuilt just in time for the 1960 school year. The new school became a three-story building constructed in 3814 West Iowa Street, this time with state-of-the-art fire prevention systems, including sprinklers. Today, the school no longer exists. Due to low enrollment over the years, the Archdiocese of Chicago closed the school with the last class graduating in 1999. Various documentaries and investigative reports were produced to fully understand what happened that day. The Our Lady of the Angels Fire was also featured in several books and inspired a song and a stage play. As tragic as this story ended for some, many did survive like Janet Delaria. Keyboardist Jonathan Kane from the rock band Journey was also a survivor and wrote about his experience in his autobiography. Among the survivors is Gina Purcell, who was 13 years old when the fire happened. She recalls hiding in a corner with six other kids when she heard a voice call out a name. It was from a father who was desperately looking for his daughter up on the second floor. When the man saw them, he guided them all to safety. In the chaos of it all, Gina does not remember who the man was or if he ever found his daughter. It has been more than six decades but Gina remembers that day like it was yesterday and how she called her mother once she got out of school and apologized for leaving her coat behind. She frequently attended reunions with other Our Lady of the Angels school survivors. There were also happy endings that flourished from this tragedy. A survivor, Irene Mordarski, met another survivor, Jerry Andrioli, at the hospital. Years later, Irene and Jerry were married in the newly renovated Our Lady of the Angels church. Thank you for listening to this episode of Untimely. Make sure you listen to our next episode. Thank you to our sponsors, including PublicDomainFootage.com. The hardworking folks at PublicDomainFootage.com provides archival research and historic content to documentarians around the globe. Visit them at PublicDomainFootage.com. Stop by and say hello to us on Twitter at Untimely Podcast. We'd love to hear from you. Thank you.